My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Today's guest is Andrew McLaughlin. Andrew has been faculty member of the IMI and Management Centre Innsbruck for many years. He has served in a diplomatic and consultancy role for the EU and the OECD around the world. His research interests are in psychology of work and well-being. He has published several original studies in these areas, also known as the coach's coach, Andrew McLaughlin. It is such a pleasure to have you on the Workplace Podcast. Thank you, William. It's a pleasure to be here. And Andrew, I know uh, during the uh, pandemic and during my tenure, at celebrations of my my work anniversary, uh, I reached out to you and I said how much I really appreciated everything that you have done for me. You gave me so many insights and shared your knowledge and expertise. And I actually role modeled uh, you in in certain ways. So it's such a genuine um, pleasure to have you on the Workplace Podcast. And today's topic is a fascinating one, if I must say. It is the quality of life and essential ingredient to leadership success. So, Andrew, tell me more. What is quality of life? Okay, uh, well, that alone is a is a difficult one because for many people it's different things. Sometimes people call that happiness. Uh, you know, this idea that somehow we're we're getting uh, a lot of juice out of our lives, a, a good charge out of it, that it's it's really enjoyable. Um, and um, for some people, it's it's a feeling of of, of satisfaction, quiet satisfaction. But I, I would say that it means that it's not flat. That that somehow we're not on the negative side of being stressed out and being ill tempered and suffering physical ailments, etc. Uh, that we have. A feeling of joyousness. I think is what you know. It's a word that's not used all that commonly, but uh, I think that getting joy out of life is is the most important thing. And at the end of the day, you know, this uh, <laughs> what's it all about, Alfie? <laughs> kind of question. Uh, yeah. If we're flat out twenty four seven and we're stressed out, and our friends are getting fed up with us. Uh, you would ask yourself, what is the point? And there's a fair bit of evidence out there that people in senior positions are fairly much under intense pressure. And, and you know, the human mind and body can only take so much. Uh, the result of that is that, of course, being in a leader, leader, leadership position, their influence is quite profound on the followers, the, the, the people in the organization. And as a result of that, there can be a demotivational effect or a disengagement effect. And all of that ultimately leads to 
lack of productivity and possibly, probably, lack of profitability. So these things are all linked quite intimately with each other, William. Yeah. And before we started recording a podcast, you started using different words on, you know, quality of life. You know, you talked about well-being, you talked about joy, you talked about contentment. You know, there was many things that you were uh, talking about there. So the quality of life means all those things, doesn't it? It does. It means all of those things, and the philosophers argue about them. But most of us have an intuitive idea of what quality of life is. And, you know, if you met your friend in the park uh, uh, on our frequent walks these days, and uh, they said to you, how's it going? And you would check within yourself for some indicators as to how you might answer that. And, you know, if you said, well, actually, things are not bad at all. They're, they're, they're quite good. That, that's a sense. We do have a sense internally when we check inwards of, of how things are going. And sometimes there's a surge of emotion with that, which is, yes, yes, things are going really well. Now, sometimes that surge is due to something that's happened quite recently. In other words, we've had a recently uh, positive event, uh, the kind of uh, got a pay raise type of uh, our work roster has changed. Uh, uh, a favorite wor- worker has the co-worker has come back to work with us. Those are short term, but then there's this more enduring feeling underneath this that's always there. And one of the things that I always highly recommend is accessing that frequently. And for me, meditation is the way that I do it, but people can do it through very through exercise in various other ways. Uh, but it's that feeling or what psychologists call affect, that, that sense of what, what, what Wordsworth called it, God's in his heaven and all's right with the world type of feeling. I think that's the one that's, that's, uh, that, that what happiness is. And, and indeed, if you step down a little bit from that, it's probably uh, satisfaction or a, a peacefulness or um, what, serenity is another word that, that, that you use, uh, you know, that we're, we're going along, we're not disturbed by events overly, uh, and we're not too drawn by, you know, searching for pleasures or what philosophers call hedonism. One of the things about, I think one of the insights that I really value is this idea of what, what psychologists call hedonic treadmill. And this is the idea that if we uh, seek pleasure, then we will be happy. Now, as a psychologist, the, the difference is clear between pleasure, which is kind of a dopamine-mediated thing, you know, gambling, drinking, all of these sort yeah. of activities uh, that you could think of that are pleasurable, uh, give you short-time bursts of, of, of dopamine or, or, or uh, pleasure. But pleasure and happiness are, are two different things. And sometimes people make that mistake that by seeking pleasure, that that, that will make them happy. Whereas, in fact, if we look back to the, the, the Greek philosophers and, and, and particularly the Stoics and t- today to modern Buddhism, there's the, the, the idea of cultivating an inner peace, which is not about outwardly seeking pleasure, but is about um, uh, cultivating equanimity. And that's a, a kind of a, a, not that you're not being affected by events, but that you can roll with it and accept change. Now, change, of course, is, is absolutely universal. So our ability to, 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 I call it radical acceptance, and it seems uh, contradictory in a way that if we accept things that we are able to change more, it's the people who try to resist change 
who try to who get angry and upset and uh, I mean not normal people do these things but people sometimes people get stuck in their in their in their anger and stuck in their fear and stuck in their panic and anxiety and we're told William unfortunately that something like one in five possibly even one in four people in the in mm-hmm. the United States are suffering from fear and anxiety and I'm yeah. sure that those statistics are pretty much replicated around the Western world. So it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty pandemic, the fear and the anxiety. And um, so what, we're, what I'm looking for is this idea of looking inward and, and, and becoming aware of, of the functioning of your own mind and body, taking care of the body, first of all, because that's the container that we're, that we're using. And uh, people underestimate the power of the body to affect the mind. Um, for example, if we are... If we exercise and eat well and sleep well, uh, then our thoughts are going to be more positive. And uh, if our thoughts are more positive, our interactions are more positive, and therefore the feedback that we get becomes more positive. And that sort of positive loop, looping uh, yeah. and productive yeah. looping start, starts. Yeah, yeah. It's a virtual spiral of success. It's a virtual, a virtual spiral, an idea about a spiral going upwards. Yeah. And, and, and uh, that, that one thing feeds off the other. So the question for people is, you know, where do you start? Well, the answer is clear start with yourself. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, take care of yourself. What do you mean by that? Well, sleep. Everybody knows how to do these things these days. That's not mm. the greatest mystery in the world is eat, eat relatively cleanly, uh, sleep reasonably well up to eight hours a day uh, exercise uh, probably as much as you can but not overly so yeah. and uh, and and uh, meet your meet your friends and keep your social contacts up so that's how in, in, in a way I mean I could go into a lot more detail than that if, if, you, if you if you wish but that's how you keep the physical container well and then thought monitoring is the idea is what am I thinking about right now what am I saying to myself right now and yeah. if you find yourself rejecting what's happening then say to yourself, uh, I accept the things I cannot change. That's the old, the old wisdom. Yeah. And uh, if you don't do that, then speak to yourself even more stern, sternly and say, I accept the things I cannot change. And therefore, the paradox is now I'm back in control. I'm driving my bus. Yeah. And it's that serenity prayer, isn't it? It's, it's, it's right, the, exactly. It's the wisdom exactly. to know the difference, isn't it? Well, that, that, that's it. And, and that wisdom comes with practice. That, that's where you, you, if you continuously challenge yourself and to say, is this a situation I can affect that I have control over or I have no control over? For example, in the pandemic, I have no control over the existence of the virus, but I do have control over my personal behavioral patterns around social distancing and and uh, cleanliness, uh, hygiene, etc. So, uh, and therefore, and the extra worry and anxiety that I pile on top of that is unnecessary and unproductive. It, it affects my ability to function well, to sleep well, and therefore it's the downward spiral. So you can easily see that if you want things to get better, you start by accepting things as they are and then asking yourself, what can I do? So that's the ultimate personal, uh, absolute responsibility to take it on yourself and stop the whining and yeah. stop the blaming because yeah, yeah. we try to let ourselves off the hook that way. But uh, that's delusional thinking. So it's clear, clear-eyed clear thinking. It's funny, I often think of my grandmother, you know, and it's that internal locus 
of control and she used to offer me you know lots of words of of wisdom you know and that you were talking about that locus of control there where what we control is our thoughts and our behavior uh, internal internal locus of control yeah, yeah. So psychologists and, call it yeah yeah and and then it's what we can influence is obviously our community and you know our team or whoever and then what we can control and that's where my grandmother used to say listen just offer it up to the lord you know so there's there's different ways where um we can do that and you were talking about the bio which is the body Mm. the container that we're in we're talking about the cycle which is these are the thought patterns there this is what we can really influence in ourselves so how might people identify if they're stuck in maybe a negative thought loop you know what might they do about that okay the the classic one for psychologists and uh, uh, philosophers was what they call introspection um so there's also interception. Interception is you check it, check out in your body. What is what am I feeling right now? Where you know what, what, how is my body? Am I hungry? Am I angry or whatever? Uh, and and then the the introspection is about what am I thinking right now? Now thoughts are quite elusive, which is why meditation helps you to identify the fact that thoughts fly in, in and out of your mind very very quickly, almost below the radar. And uh, you're not aware that you're telling yourself a story. Now, the human being is designed to tell us. We are designed to tell ourselves stories. So we are sense-making organisms. So when something happens, we immediately make up a story about it. And that yeah. story could blame, could, uh, could, could be something like other people are very bad. They don't appreciate me. I'm not understood. Uh, so if you challenge yourself, you would say, well, wh- how am I contributing to, to this situation? Or if it's a thought that uh, is disturbing you, the, the easy one is to say, where's the evidence, mister? <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then, of course, it's an internal dialogue. So dialogue means that there's parts of you talking to each other. So the part of you has to say, mm, not sure. Well, please shut up then. <laughs> It's called shutting up in psychology. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, in other words, you're identifying the the, the thoughts that are disturbing. Uh, now, obviously, a, a, a more structured way to do that is, is journaling. So, journaling is highly recommended for 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 even for a short period of time where you might write down in the morning what your thoughts are about what's going to happen that day. And, oh, I'm afraid of this and I'm anxious about that. And, oh, my God, I have to meet so-and-so. And then go back at the end of the day and read what you wrote. Oh, my goodness, did, did I actually think that? That was so enjoyable when I did that. Imagine now if I hadn't had acted on those uh, fears and had cancelled that or hadn't done it. Um, you know, I, I would have missed all of that enjoyment. And that's the paradox that somehow, in a way, we have this desire to remain as children, to remain totally protected. You know, that's in all of us, that, that safekeeping self. And there's the other part that we have to cultivate, which is the growth-seeking self, the part of us that wants to experience life, that wants to cultivate wisdom, uh, and wants to grow in, 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 in different ways. And so that's why we need to push ourselves and challenge ourselves and challenge ourselves in our thinking, and challenge ourselves in our in our in our, our social networking, etc. All of these things are, are are what will result in having a good life, and that's yeah, what you- yeah, that's what the Greeks called it, the good life. And uh, you know, that's again circling back. 
William, to what we were talking about earlier is what is happiness. You know, it, it is leading a good life, not a highly pleasurable life necessarily. I mean, pleasures, of course, are, are going to be part of it. But that it's, it's a good life, that it has the elements of I have lived well, I have done well. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, you're actually, that's the, what I wanted to return to. So it's 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 brilliant that you did that. Uh, so it's, it's happiness is because in terms of that, we, we read magazines and we see love these lovely pictures of, you know, people enjoying themselves and having the latest fashion uh, items and accessories. And we go on to social media and we see these kind of, you know, these, I suppose, false representations of of life and then we go well we want that too and there's maybe an endorphin hit or you know oxytocin because we want to get the number of likes so do you believe like the more you use social media then the more it's going to impact the quality of life that we have or the happiness that we have yeah well i think that returning to something a term that is used in this area is called hedonic hedonic means just pleasure seeking yeah, um, and and the reason it's called a hedonic treadmill is because it can you can't get off it. You know, if you're associating your uh, sense of worth and well-being and happiness with the acquisition of possessions and you know competing with others, uh, particularly those illusory images that are on Instagram and and airbrushed images and and and, and carefully created images of, of of enjoyment, if you buy into that then, of course, you're on a treadmill and that treadmill will just keep going faster and faster until you <laughs> fall off it and hit your head on the ground and realize that that's not that is not the way. You know, yeah. the way is the opposite of, of that. It is non-attachment, which is what the Buddhists say in the Buddhism philosophy and the Stoic philosophy are very, very similar in that regard, which is non-attachment is that if somebody else is doing well, then I wish them well. If they're all over Instagram, then I, I wish them every success in the world. Mm. But I don't allow myself to cultivate envy for their situation because happiness is not to be found by comparison with others. That is a, a fool's errand. Happiness can only be found by the cultivation of inner peace. And that serenity is already there. All it has to be do, done is to give it a chance to emerge. And it emerges naturally because the human being is designed uh, by, by evolution, by God, or whichever philosophy you want to uh, incorporate. We're designed to seek growth and happiness. And unfortunately, all of these uh, manip uh, social manipulations are, are taking us off target rather than... So how do you ret return to the basics will return to your breathing, breathe in and breathe out, cultivate your breathing, and that will immediately uh, calm your whole system uh, through the vagus nerve, uh, for example. We know that is a really good emerging science about that. Uh, when your system is calmed, the, the, when your brain checks your body for any of its signals, uh, the, the body is saying everything is okay, everything is good, yeah. And therefore our thoughts calm down if we, if we monitor our thoughts, uh, what am I thinking right now, then we can cultivate uh, a positive thinking, you know, for want of a better, a, yeah. a better term. And uh, 
that then leads us to feel good about ourselves, which allows us to feel confident in our interactions with others and in the workplace and in our leadership roles, etc. So it, it, it all, all of these things build on, on each other. Uh, so if you were to ask me where would I start, I mean, I am a bit of an aficionado of, of, of exercise and, and yoga and um, uh, and um, med, med, meditation. This morning I, I did half an hour of yoga as soon as I got up and then I did 15 minutes med, meditation. To me, that's the perfect start to the day because what it does is it, it, it gets your mind and body in shape for uh, match fit for the for the day ahead and after that then you have to monitor that you don't lose that overly uh, that's where your thought monitoring comes in and your um and your journaling can be a, a nice little addition to to that to uh starting to to begin to notice what your thought patterns are uh, there's a lovely book called you cannot afford the luxury of a negative thought and i love that yeah uh, it's not to say that this is some sort of a Pollyanna philosophy that I'm pro uh, uh, preaching here or anything like that. It's nothing to do with, with uh, ignoring reality because I also put in uh, a big bedrock uh, uh, attitude, which is I fully and completely accept what's happening right now without reservation. Because if you think about it, it's, it's, it's actually irrational not to accept it. It is there. How can you not accept it? That's that's uh, illusion or delusion. And once you fully accept, the next step is to say, what action can I take? Action, action, action. So not to get caught up in navel gazing, not to get caught up in, in contemplation, just say, what's the next right action I can take? And how can I do that today? keep it within the hour if you can't keep it within the day because most people get stuck because they say oh i can't do all of these things well just do one thing right now the right thing and keep doing that for the rest of the day and you'll have a good day which will translate into a good year so it's really about the good life is a simple life owner simple life is well you see that's where the monks got it right <laughs> yeah. a lot of us are not attracted by the life of a monk and i'm not at all saying that we should become uh, hermits or monks or whatever but they did that as the old christian tradition was on our behalf if you think about it william they yeah. did it so that we could learn what was there and then they came and offered to us if you would you know if you would like a piece of this here's what we did and they were the experiments. They were the scientific uh, experiments that that showed that if you, you that you could live. And some of the, um, the some of the there are some very famous scientists who give up. Uh, scientists uh, Matthew Ricard is one in, in France, uh, you know, world-renowned scientist, and, and then went off and, and, and did the, went the Himalaya thing and lived as a, as a monk for, you know, still is a monk. But you know he and. Uh, uh, including the, the um, uh, Daniel Goleman, who is um, the famous now for emotional intelligence. Everybody knows about him and his book on emotional intelligence was published in 96. Uh, but what people don't know is that he um, did his PhD on, on meditation and lived in India in an ashram. And, you know, so some of the astonishingly great intellects of our time have taking this path and I'm again not at all saying that this is something that I would rec recommend to people I mean if it's your thing of course do it but the beauty about today is we can learn from all of these systems 
and all of these traditions. We don't have to buy the whole package, but we can say it's called Occam's razor. What is the bit in there that really can make a difference? And can I incorporate that into my busy, uh, productive life so that I can get more juice out of it, more joy out of it, and at the end of the day, more productivity, more profitability, better quality relationships, anything that I'm looking for. The, the methodologies are there. Uh, they're not high tech. They don't require a massive investment, but they do require uh, a commitment to, to change and to growth. And, and you mentioned then earlier on before we started recording about the research uh, that was done by um, a, the uh, professor Michael West. Hmm. Um, can you tell us more about that? Because there, there was research gone into the quality of life there. Did I get that right? Yeah, there was two pieces of uh, of a research, one of which I was involved with myself, which we, we conducted with the Royal College of Surgeons, and um, the um, Professor Kieran O'Boyle, who is the chief, chief psychologist there. And he, what, what we did was we gave the same quality of life instrument to the uh, to people in you know with medical conditions, some of them quite severe medical conditions, including some people in palliative, palliative care with you know, osteoarthritis, the, these kind of painful conditions, and um, also to, to managers that were going through some IMI programs at, you know, at, um, at quite a senior level and, uh, and newly appointed managers. And what we were disturbed to find was that some of the, 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 the stats were showing a higher quality of report quality of life in the people with the severe illnesses higher than what our managers were reporting. So there's a, a straw in the wind, if you like, and it's no more than that because, you know, I mean, it was good good, good quality research. The numbers weren't huge. But at the same time, it, it, it's a little bit alarming that that could be the case. So that, that's the first piece of information that maybe as, as leaders and managers, we are taking a lot of a, a lot of pressure, and uh, we maybe you know uh, we need some support in, in that regard. The second bit was Michael West a number of years ago did research into over 110 manufacturing companies in the Midlands of the UK, and he followed those companies with a team of people, economists and statisticians and psychologists, etc over a period of, of, of um, as I said, 10 years. Um, and his analysis was that, um, you know, good quality management with good interpersonal relationships and good, good um, uh, affiliation, if you like, um, that these things mattered more than the harder aspects of, of, of leadership and management, which would be, you know, strategy and quality management and, uh, or indeed those kind of things that we normally think about. And remember, this is going to, to profitability and, and productivity, which are the two outcomes that companies are looking for. And um, he, he found that that what he called generally well-being, because in a sense, uh, the, the, the leadership is about the impact on the follower. And the, if the impact was that the style of management was such that the follower felt engaged and you know work satisfaction we call it felt happy in their work if you like um, that the company benefited quite 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 strongly from that um, so if you think about it the calculus here is as follows that we're that we're proposing um, if productivity results from engaged workforce uh, engaged workforce. Uh, comes about because of uh, a certain style of 
uh, presence in terms of leadership and, and management and, 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 and the, the interactions between the, the leaders and the followers. Uh, and then where does that all begin? Well, my proposition is that if the leader himself or herself hasn't done the type of things that we are talking about in terms of taking care of themselves, that's in a very holistic way, um, then they are not going to be in a position to uh, transmit energy, which it's all about the transmission of energy, engagement, motivation uh, to their workforce, and therefore the whole thing fa falls flat. And, and an emphasis then on, 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 on sort of a pace setting, kind of a, a metric driven environment seems to be, you, you know, logically the way to do it, but this maybe uh, counterintuitively that more warm approach and more uh, sense of community. That was one of the things that, that Michael West pointed out, that the sense of belonging and community. And it's one of the things that, that is underestimated that the human being has an absolute imperative, uh, you can look at evolutionary psychology as a reason for that, an absolute imperative to belong. And when there's a sense of being excluded for any reason, uh, they, uh, they, the, 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 the person suffers as if they had a physical pain. I mean, you can, you can see that through, through brain scanning separation. I suppose that old idea in religion about being separated from God comes from that as well, you know. But anyway, without bringing religion into it, there's no doubt at all from social psychology that we are social animals and that we need to belong. And that sense of belonging can be affected strongly by the, the, the way leadership is exercised. And, um, and if we have that sense of belonging, sense of community, uh, our productivity and our well-being will be in balance. In other words, we, 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 we will be well and we will have a high level of productivity. And it all begins, I think, largely with the, uh, with the internal uh, world of the, of the leader to begin with. I don't know if that, if that makes sense to you, William, as a proposition. It makes perfect uh, sense. A lot of the conversations that I'm having with coaching clients is that um, that, that I suppose place where people are feeling isolated uh, at the moment. They don't have that sense of community because of the virtual world that we're working in uh, at the moment. And I think, you know, there is not that emphasis of self-care because it's a multiplier, isn't it? Because if we take care of ourselves, then we're able to take care Huge of, of others. Exponential multiplier. Yeah. Yeah. Because it goes, if you think about it, William, it goes, it goes to your own family, but then it goes into your, the people who work for you and their families. And, and can you think about how that extends out in, into, the, into the community at large? Mm. So, you know, the thing is that these, these types of ideas are, can be overwhelming for people is how can I affect society? How can I affect community? Well, the whole idea is, you know, Gandhi said it, didn't it be the change you want to see in the world? And some people say, well, that's all sort of Gandhiism. <laughs> you know, that's way beyond my realm. But if you break it down, break it down, break it down into a day, into, into a thought, into an action, then it becomes manageable for every one of us. Yeah. And, you know, it does go back to a better quality of life goes back to self-care, you know. And I keep keep thinking, and I'm writing notes as I go along. You, you mentioned journalism. We 
talked about meditation. We talked about yoga, eating well, exercise, um, and those thought interfering patterns that we have. And for me, I was going through a difficult period around uh, two years ago. And, you know, it's that there was that reluctance to accept my situation at the time. I, you know, I kept going, I wanted things to be better or, you know, uh, and what advice would you give to people that struggle with that reconciliation of where they're at now and the current mm. reality? Mm. Well, I have a little mantra that I think that works quite well, which is even though I am suffering from X or Y is happening or I have a mm. setback of a Z, I fully and completely accept myself. Because what happens is that we turn against ourselves yeah, that, that form of self-compassion is a very interesting phenomenon because often we are far more critical, far more harsh on ourselves than we would be on even an enemy of ours. If, if, yeah. if you call anybody such a thing, but you know this idea that 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 um, self-rejection. You know, I, I this has happened to me, and therefore I'm a bit of a fool, a bit of an idiot. Oh my God, I'm. Uh, it's called awfulizing. I'm awful. Catastrophizing means this is never, you know, watch your, here's another hint, this too shall pass. (laughs) Yeah. There's a straight out of the playbook, you know, just say to yourself, this too shall pass. Because 100% certainty, William, is that everything passes. Mm -hmm. And if you fully accept that it's happening and it will pass, that's your optimism kicking in and your reality testing, I accept it. And if you're in reality, you can problem solve in reality, as you know. Yeah. Because without the reality, you're just deluding yourself. You're in, you're in fantasy land. So it's like, what is happening right now? Um, can I let it land on me? Yeah. Can I feel the feelings? Oh, it's awful. Stay with it. Stay with the feeling. Yeah. Stay with it. Everything passes and the feeling passes more quickly than most. It's my favorite way of dealing with negative feelings of so-called unpleasant feelings if you like and yeah. um, is, is to let them land on me and just feel them and within almost within seconds they, they change and disappear I'm not yeah. saying now people with severe uh, uh, affect disorder, disorders like like anxiety uh, disorders or, or, or depression I mean these are medical matters of course as well but uh, yeah. these types of ideas are really good um, uh, auxiliary methods for helping uh, people, even on me- medication. And for those of us that, that are not severe, of course, they are the way out because yeah. um, your thoughts are as powerful as, as medication in many cases. Yeah, and there is research behind that when they do pharmaceutical trials to test the efficacy of newer pharmaceutical pro- products. Uh, you know, journaling actually scores quite high in terms of efficacy and you know uh, I, I always uh, like for me journaling was something that was really important for me to help me out of a, a kind of a dark place at times and you know you you are returning to you know this too shall pass that lovely Seamus Heaney quote you know that that really is meditation as well isn't it that thoughts come and go and you're not judging those thoughts really what you're doing is you're just noticing them you're just observing them and then that allows you to be in that objective space which yeah. is that your thoughts in terms of meditation or what are your opinions on that yeah yeah exactly the, the meditation is designed for you to realize to give you insight 
and it's, it's called insight meditation. There's concentration meditation, which is designed to help you to concentrate and to focus on a single point, uh, and which for executives is incredibly useful. But there's also insight meditation, which is the nature of reality. And um, if, if we begin to become observers of our own mental processes, we'll see that thoughts just continuously, this endless stream of of chattering monkeys, the Eastern people sometimes call it, the, 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 the hundred monkeys, they're just chasing each other across our brain. And sometimes we, we fruitlessly follow them into the jungle. Uh, th those thoughts would fail to catch anything. Uh, so what we do is we we, 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 we try to discipline our, our, our thoughts. Now, you'll never stop your thoughts. It's completely impossible. It's the nature of mind. But if you have um, what is called rumination, and ruminating is where you have unproductive, repetitive thoughts. Yeah. And unproductive, repetitive thoughts are continuously sending signals to your mind and body that things are not right. So what you're doing is, in a sense, if you talk about pharmaceuticals, you're poisoning yourself with thought viruses. And is that ruminating then, is that... Uh, and analysis or per, analysis by paralysis or the other way around is like if somebody is caught into that vicious loop of ruminating, you know, what are the ways that we can interrupt those patterns? Okay, well, one of the best ways now, the Japanese call it forest bathing, but either green, the green or blue, green being get out into greenery, there's really strong evidence that walking where there are trees and grass naturally calm down that process of rumination. And if we can walk mindfully, in other words, notice the trees, uh, invite ourselves to notice the colour of the grass and the changing leaves and anything else that's in nature, that will automatically uh, calm down the rumination. And if you do that frequently, of course, then you're, 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 breaking the, you're interrupting the pattern uh, the other way is that we've said already that you've mentioned is the, the, the journaling. And sometimes when you see <laughs> the repetitive thought pattern and, and write it down, it can be a little bit scary and say, oh, hold, hold on a second. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing this. That sounds a little bit uh, off the wall. So, you, you know, in, in a sense, objectifying it so that you can see it outside of your head on a page, it can, it can sometimes make you uh, maybe even uh, laugh at yourself a little bit. And, you know, there's another one, you know, uh, comedy, for example, would, would be wonderfully useful to interrupt the pattern as well, because it's hard to be ruminating while you're laughing uproariously at John yeah. Cleaver, or <laughs> Only Fools and Horses or something like that, or the, Mark, the Marx Brothers. Um, meditation is the key because once you become aware of it, what meditation does, it not alone... Um, uh, changes your your state for the moment that you're doing it but according to the le most recent research and um, Daniel Goleman has written a book in the last couple of years about this he talks about from state to trait and so trait means that that becomes uh, more definitional of you in other words that that becomes more habitual uh, so that your your brain then is uh, it literally changes because the brain is, we talk about neuroplasticity. The brain, mm. the brain is changing all of the time. So that 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 uh, science has changed quite dramatically, and it's all about the firing of the neurons, neurons that fire together, wire together, and that pattern or matrix or network is constantly changing throughout our lives. So if we go into a meditative state. 
that starts changing pathways in the brain without going into too much science about it. But Goldman's book explains a a lot of that science. So there's one way to do it as a, as a, as a, in the same way as if you want to change your, your, your body, go to the gym regularly or your aerobic capacity, go running. Uh, if you want to change the, the way that your, your brain, it, it, and it also down regulates the, the um, fight or flight instinct in, in the brain as well. So that we're, um, we're not as reactive. We're, we're not flying off the handle so easy or what people call more Zen in the yeah. language. Yeah. We're, we're, we're cooler. Yeah. And a lot of people then, at the moment are probably experiencing a lot of flux because the uncertainty the pandemic has brought work practices maybe change of strategy that we mentioned at the start of the podcast and there are many leaders there that you know are looking to you know influence people to accept maybe difficult changes you know and what advice would you offer listeners who may be leaders or maybe offer listeners who are experiencing these difficult changes? Because we talked about accepting a change as that radical acceptance. What mm. advice might you offer them? Mm. Well, the first thing is that the change is inevitable and to stand against what you call flux or the idea that you can't step into the same Heraclitus's idea he couldn't step into the same river twice that it's the very essence of life is change now of course that doesn't mean that you accept every change that's proposed to you because of course there's a rational uh, element to that but there will be two elements to it one is the rational element of whether this makes sense or doesn't make sense or will change your circumstances positively or negatively that that type of analysis is one thing the other part is the the emotional reaction to change this idea that People do like uh, they do like rituals and they, and they like things to be the same because it so, it feels soothing. So the moving moving uh, towards something is is more difficult because we don't know what that is, but we know what we have already. Uh, so for leaders, they need to work in many different dimensions. The visionary leader, of course, will draw an exciting. Uh, picture of the future and will give reasons for that and will make sure that people will benefit from that and will show that the effectiveness of that is well explained. In other words, uh, basic behavioral psychology, if you do this, you will get that. Um, then uh, maybe drawing attention to the um, the um, appropriateness of the change and let's say well if we, if we don't do this we're, go- we're going to get left behind and we'll be we'll be um trailing the market or losing market share or whatever and the consequence of that is that 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 will be a you know a question mark over the viability of the jobs etc and therefore me uh, the third bit of that would be a, a direct appeal to people's uh, ability to to rise to the occasion uh, because uh the as as you know, uh, William, in, in management and leadership, there's a thing called the Pygmalion effect from my yeah. fair lady, and the idea it's also called the expectation effect, and it's it's something like I know that you guys are going to take a bit of a hit in the in the short term here, but I know you're the type of people who can look through that to our longer term success. Um, of course, all that is predicated on the leader. You know, being uh, likable, uh, being uh, 
a reference figure, if you if you like, that people can trust, and 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 that is not built up in that particular moment of announcing the change. That's built up by a series of positive <coughs> interactions or transactions between the leader yeah. and the follower over a period of time, and all of that stuff then goes back to. Well, how is that leader? I mean, if they're miserable, if they're under stress, if they're overwhelmed, they're not going to build up a pattern of trusting interactions. And yeah, when it yeah. comes along to the change, then people will say, you're on your own, mister. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like what you have been doing to me, and now I'm not going to put my shoulder to the wheel. So, again, I think you can make a reasonable case for all of this going back to uh, to the, the, the well-being of the leader and how they take care of themselves. And therefore, <clears throat> after that, it's a communication um, uh, influencing, uh, you know, pulling very various levers, uh, you know, with, with integrity, of course, because all of this has to has to be um, uh, underpinned by, by by integrity and, and belief that this is actually the case. And if that happens, then people, when they're appealed to, can do extraordinary things. I mean, yeah. we've seen many, many examples of that. And uh, so appealing to their, what would they call uh, the theory, theory why in, in, in McGregor's uh, motivation yeah. psychology, people are basically well motivated and really is what they need is uh, just the, uh, the the conditions for that orientation to emerge. Mm. And and. And it's, you've covered some great points, you know, especially about uh, Pygmalion and management. For listeners, uh, there's a great article, a HBR article by Sterling Livingston on that. And I think you make a great point as well, Andrew, about a leader's social capital. If they are not seen as competent or you haven't built up that um, social capital over time, you know, when you ask for that change, will people put their shoulder behind the wheel or not? And then it left leaves me wondering, well, if you have a leader of low social capital and maybe you perceive them as incompetent, how do you how do you deal with that change then? So I'm just thinking of those ministers then who are kind of going, they're shrugging their shoulders here, taking a deep breath as they're listening to the podcast here. What advice might you give those people? Well, the smart piece of advice is find another place to to use your talent. <laughs> and that's always an option as well, because that's what people will do. They leave, as you know, that's what the evidence is. People don't leave organizations. They, 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 they leave bad bosses. And uh, yeah. that might well be the, the right, you know. And of course, it's, 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 it's easier to work on yourself than it is to work on, on, on somebody else. And the problem with that is uh, that... Uh, you know the things you cannot change may well be the the the, the boss's character or the nature of the culture that that, that you're in, and yeah. after that you may play a defensive you may play a defensive game, which is mm-hmm. what can I do here so that I'm I'm not going to come out badly, mm-hmm. and um, in the meantime maybe uh, start uh, looking at the at the um, at the opportunities elsewhere uh, to make sure that you, you can you know if you have to leave that you're not leaving without without um, without having a, a decent alternative um, but there are many many techniques of, of managing your boss as well and uh, those may or may not be appropriate in particular circumstances uh, so you may have a wonderful job and a wonderful company and just have a boss that's not particularly the best. And uh, there are many techniques for that, uh, persuasion and influencing techniques. Um, One of them would be to focus on what your boss is concentrating on and to put that 
possibly in the forefront of the of the proposals that, that you're making, uh, so that they find it difficult to criticize or or, or, or critique you. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, with all of there's no rule of the universe that no matter how clever you are, how influential you are, that you will affect somebody else. They can they have the freedom to stay as they are. So. I think giving yourself the opportunity to to leave, and I think it, it's it's a waste of a life to stay too long under a a, a, a boss that's um, you know tyrannical or or um, um, you know just just bullying or, or 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 something like that. I mean, obviously, bullying is something that there are HR practices that you can invoke, but all of it starts going south at that stage. And really, a, a long, long way from that sense of belonging, community, well-being that that we're talking about in a, in a positive way. So, um, I suppose adopted defensive strategy and and uh, and and uh, you're into survival mode there more than a thriving mode. Yeah, and it's to be strategic as well, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know? you, for for sure, because uh, you know the nature of hierarchy is such that bosses uh, are uh, you know have more power than you have and uh, it, uh, it's the nature of organizations to uphold the boss because that's what they depend on the structure of, of that of that power and authority uh, so you could be sacrificed in the meantime while the organization in inverted commas discovers the inadequacies of a particular boss so yeah. you don't want that to happen that's what I mean by, by playing a, def- a defensive game and making sure that you have um, uh, protected yourself <coughs> from uh, any of these, um, uh, from any possibilities that you might be blamed for what was going on. And in terms of a quality of life, then it's about balance as well. And I know you're a fan of work-life balance wheel, and maybe there's an emphasis then where people are placing too much value on the workplace where a quality of life, because we talked about that underlying notion that there's a certain sense of um, happiness and quality of life you know this is all about resilience as well you know uh, as part of the conversation here so can you tell me how the work-life balance wheel might play a role here in helping people um, with their quality of life yeah I mean because um, the, the, the wheel is a mechanism just a way of, of, of uh, drawing attention to the fact that there are many dimensions of life that are important. For example, our health is obviously important. Um, our um, financial security is important. Our, our, um, uh, our work and, and the meaning and purpose of our work, all of these, th- these things are relationships, etc. So people might draw a, a, a wheel in, in different ways, so just really what their values are and what's important to them. And um, the idea of the wheel is that you, you can measure each of these dimensions uh, if you take the metaphor now, that it is a metaphor that we're talking about. And if you think about a wheel, uh, if if one of the spokes is not working or is loose, the wheel is 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 not going to be effective. It may still actually propel uh, uh, the vehicle or the bicycle or whatever, but it's not going to be as effective as it might be. So, using that analogy, it's a, a what was a systematic way of having a look at what's important in your life and doing uh, an audit of, of those elements uh, to check up that they're, you know, that's, you should check a wheel to see if it's balanced. Um, 
you would um, or, or the spokes on a bike that they're that they're all well tightened etc and so it's a way of systematically examining the elements of your life and so the things that we talked about earlier on for example uh, you think about health and, and and you know exercise and diet and you, you know you might exercise a lot and have the wrong diet or you might um, you know not sleep only two or three hours you know if, if that's the case if you had a balanced wheel there you'd say you know, I don't care how much you exercise or how clean your diet is. If you're only sleeping three hours a night, you're going to run into problems. So you can look at these as subsets, and, and, and in a way, they have to all be in, and you know, use the term Pareto optimal in a way that you, you know, there's eighty, there's twenty percent of the things that give you eighty percent of the of the benefit. Uh, if I could give an example of that, you could eat, you know, your vegetarian or whatever your clean diet. All weekend, if you had a pizza on Saturday night, you know that's not the. <laughs> to continue the metaphor, the wheels aren't going to fall off. <laughs> so in a way, that's balanced. In in a say, my my diet yeah. is balanced. I'm, I'm not going to go freak out if, if I eat a, you know a candy bar or or or, or a piece of or, or a sweet or something. So um, and the, and and the balanced wheel then is just a way for people to do that 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 audit and, and just check through in a no not a, not in a in a heavy way but in a light way where are the bits where action needs to be taken and uh, you know this is a great time of the year for that type of audit because uh, it is uh, psychologically probably the best time for um, for people to start the you know with a clean sheet and say well, let's let's see if i can get these things in, in better shape and um and after that of course william the thing is how do you keep the thing going because uh, New Year's infamous for starting uh, good intentions and not following through. So intentionality is is important and determination and ways of keeping the um, keeping the change, the personal change moving along, so that by July you haven't uh, completely given everything up again and are back in the mire. <laughs> yeah. So so Andrew, we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I want to give you an opportunity here to give some key takeaways now to our listeners so what might they be in terms of quality of life okay so if i was to prioritize now i would say the one of the most important things is to check your sleep uh people should be getting between seven and eight hours sleep a night and uh, the best way to do that is to go to bed at the same, roughly the same time and get up at roughly the same time. That works very, very well indeed. Uh, the second bit is exercise. If it was a silver bullet and a pharma company got on, whatever exercise does to you, they would be the biggest company uh, in, in the world almost immediately. Exercise is the sil silver bullet. So if you're not exercising, start exercising because you get most of your benefits from the uh, initial part of exercise. And uh, if you're exercising just a little, maybe st step it up a, a little bit more. Uh, you know, watch your diet. Don't eat too much uh, <coughs> uh, animal proteins and, and uh, you know, watch the, uh, the, the carbohydrates, etc. So once you've got those basics covered, what I would suggest is that you take up a light meditation practice. In other words, Headspace or Calm or any of these apps are great ways to start. And do some, when I say light, I mean you can do five minutes a day because it's the same as with exercise. The uh, a little is a hell of a lot better than nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you might discover that you really, really like this. 
and it's a hell of a lot better than stretching out in front of no matter how good the Netflix series is. Uh, mm. Five ten minutes meditation will do your 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 mind and body far far more good. And forget about uh, this being some sort of a monkey's navel gazing activity. It, it is not. It is one of the best, <coughs> most life enhancing things that you can do. After that, I would say build your social capital, build your friendships, reach out to people whenever you can, speak to strangers. <laughs> yeah. Because most people don't approach people because they feel awkward or they feel they might be rejected or they might feel a little personal, say, go away, you creep, or whatever it might be. In fact, if you experiment with this, nearly everyone is far, far nicer than you than you would expect. And everybody in this world knows more about something than you do. So if you know more people, that gives you creative capital as well. You're actually getting access to numerous ideas. So build your networks. And this is not locker room, golf club sort of stuff. This is just reach out to people. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that when people grow older, they're not, you know, they don't, don't make as many friends. So try to reverse that trend. Try, try to make more friends. And what do you do then? Try to stay in contact with them. It can be still light contact. It doesn't have to be a lot. Um, after that, um, what I would say is look at meaning and purpose in your life. Those are biggies as well. Ask yeah. yourself, am I doing what I was meant to do? I always think of that parable in, in the Bible. It sounds very biblical, but I'm, I'm not really. It's people who buried their talents in the garden <laughs> and, and, and uh, didn't make any use of them, you know. So uh, this lovely uh, phrase, uh, most people go to their graves with their music unplayed, and that sounds very tragic. So what is yeah. your music? Where is your joy? Find it and try to let it grow and cultivate it uh, amongst those friends that, that I've, I've talked about. And this will... This will lead to uncommon success, I would say, this, the, the, these uh, few basic hints. So, Andrew, thank you so much for Thanks sharing for your you. insights. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Talk to you again. Bye. Thank Have you. a good day. Bye. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.